Would you say that you're an honest person? Yes. Uh-huh. Pretty honest. Yep. Honest. I don't think everyone's honest 100%. Most of the time. Sometimes. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Actually, no, I do not think I'm an honest person. Like right now, trust me, I'm being honest. I hope so. <laughs> I would hope so. Whenever I do lie, I come back after literally 30 minutes and say, I'm sorry, I just lied. Why is it important to tell the truth? Say you lie to someone, the lie can get bigger and bigger every time you lie. Are there times when it's okay to lie? Sometimes. I'll probably lie about like if I have a bad day or not. Like if I'm not having a good day, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'm fine and smile and then be like, I'm really not. A lot of people do that. Like if some mafia guy has you trained up and says, where's the gold and you have no gold, you could lie and say it's in Africa. Have you ever been caught in a lie? Well, maybe when I drew on the couch. Oh my gosh. But I just blamed it on my brother. Oh my gosh. Caught lying? Yeah. Once. Like I once stole a cookie and then I told my mom, Mom, I'll buy you cookies. Did you buy her cookies? Yeah. Well, no, she didn't let me. Then after my mom figured it out, because she measured our hands on the thing. Are you, you telling me that your mom measured your hands on the couch to find out who drew on the couch? Well, first she did Simon's, after she's like, it's too big for Simon's, after she did mine, she's like, so if it's yours. Your mom's a detective. I was pretending to do my teeth when my mom caught me. And you weren't brushing your teeth, but you told your mom you were. Yes. <laughs> I think that almost every child in the history of the universe has been guilty of lying to their parents about brushing their teeth. Good morning again, Hope Ames. One more time, it's so great to be with you today. This is the eighth week in our series, 10 Commandments in Nine Weeks. And just like we heard about in that video, we're learning about lying and truth-telling this week. So here's the eighth commandment. Would you go ahead and read this eighth commandment with me? You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now remember, when God gave these commands to his people, he was not giving commands so that they would become free. He had already freed them from living in slavery in Egypt. He freed them, and now he's saying, this is how free people live. When we follow God's law, it is not because we're trying to please God more. It's not because we're trying to earn God's favor. It's because God's already set us free, and he's saying, this is how free people live. And with this, with this Eighth Commandment, God is saying, free people tell the truth. But that's hard for us because lying is kind of all over the place all the time these days. I won't ask you to say who here has told a lie ever or today because statistically, you probably have. According to research from University of Wisconsin-La Crosse, 75% of people tell at least two lies per day and 25% of people are lying about lying. 90% of lies are premeditated, so even 10% of those lies that we say are things that kind of go over our head. We're like, I didn't actually mean that, but, but most of them, we mean to tell them. 72% of lies are told to family and friends. So we're not even saying these things to strangers and like meaningless relationships. We're saying these things to the people who are supposed to be closest to us. Now, the truth is a big deal to God, and the truth is directly related to freedom. Just take a look at what Jesus says about the truth and freedom in the book of John. He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think that's so interesting. When Jesus says, here's the thing that's going to set you free, here's the thing that's going to give you life, it's not memorize all the scriptures, it's not memorize long and lengthy prayers, it's not have perfect attendance for every single Bible class in the history of the world, it's not become a perfect person, it is know the truth. The truth sets you free. 
So if we could sum it up, it's free people live and speak in truth. Now, I know that that's kind of difficult for us because we don't trust people. We just kind of assume that people are lying because we see see statistics like that. We also know the words that are coming out of our mouths, whether they're big lies or little lies, we just know that they're around. My grandma told me that when she walks into an auto care center and she needs work done on her car, she actually walks in with a Bible and makes the employees put their hand on the Bible and promise and swear that they're not going to rip her off. It's like we just, we think, well, okay, I mean, like, if God's not in it, then, you know, I mean, I could lie then, right? It's like we have these different stages in different places. We're like, well, it's okay for a lie there, but it's not okay for a lie here. But in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus actually said, God's going to hold us accountable for even all of our idle words. Now, that's kind of scary, but I actually think it's an invitation into freedom, to be honest about where we're at and who we are. I used this example for our Cairo students on Wednesday night. Most of them are gone for Thanksgiving break, so I think it's safe. But this is Simone Biles. Have you heard of her? She's like mega famous. Going into the Tokyo Olympics, she was on top of the world, specifically the gymnastics world. Arguably, she is the greatest athlete in her respective sport of all time. She's that good. In Rio in 2016, she just won. She swept everything. She won gold after gold after gold. Going into the Olympics, she kept on winning gold after gold after gold. Then a couple of days into the meet in Tokyo, she decided to step out. She didn't feel like she was in a safe space mentally to keep her body physically safe as she flung her body 58 times off the ground, 58 times flipping it over and over again. Crazy high heights off the ground. It's scary stuff is what I'm trying to say. She was honest, right? She told the truth. This is how I'm feeling. And how do people handle the truth? Well, if you paid attention to the media and some of the tweets that were going around about her, one of the tweets that I read that went viral at the time was, Simone Biles is a disgrace to this country. Like, no wonder we're afraid of the truth. No wonder so many of us are going around telling lies, even if they're little lies, because we know how people handle the truth, especially when we're just really honest about where we're at. But some people accepted her and received her and supported her and said, the truth was okay. She said this about that. The outpouring of love and support I've received has made me realize that I'm more than my accomplishments. I'm more than gymnastics. I never really truly believed that before. Simone Biles said that. I think that's really neat. And it points to a truth that we read in scripture. It is that the truth is good enough. Do you believe that the truth is good enough? Do you believe that the truth about you, the truth about Jesus, the truth about this world, the truth about our culture, do you believe that it's good enough? I know it's easy to say, well, no, it's not good enough. It always needs to get better. But Jesus says, I'll meet it wherever it is. The truth is good enough. God knows the truth. He invites us to speak it. When growing up, when my family would sit around the dinner table, our parents would ask us how our day went. And being an overly confident, anywhere between the age of like six to 10, sometimes I would exaggerate how my day went, right? I ran the mile. It was a new world record. Congratulations, mom and dad. You have raised the fastest human being on the planet. Like, oh yeah, we took, you know, those Iowa, those, uh, Iowa test of basic skills tests. And I don't know, I think I'm in the top 1%. I'm going to get a full ride to Harvard and, and, and Princeton, all the Ivy League schools. Mom, dad, I'm going to take care of you forever. And my parents always would have to tell me, as a kid who's maybe even believing some of my exaggerations, the truth is good enough. Now, that's kind of nice and helpful for a child to hear. But as I grew older, our home was a safe place for me. Because I really believed the truth there was good enough. Whether I had a good day or a bad day, whether I won or I lost, whether I was accepted or rejected, in my home I was received and the truth was good enough. It is liberating. This is why the truth brings freedom, because you can actually be yourself. 
You're finally safe. The truth is good enough. So what are we hiding? What is it that we're hiding? Oftentimes, I think that we're trying to manipulate the situation just so they would look a little bit better. And I think that that's human. And it's getting at what this commandment wants to address. Again, the Eighth Commandment, we read it like this. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now, testimony in those days, it was a huge deal. Back in those days, they didn't have the forensic evidence to deal with crime. So when you would have something taking place in court, it all depended on people's testimony. And so somebody's truth, the thing that they were sharing, if it wasn't true, I mean, it would have major consequences for no reason whatsoever on this innocent person. In some cases, it might even put somebody to death. Testimony meant a lot. And God said it's very, very important that when you speak, it is the truth because it impacts this world deeply. Now, the word there for falsely, what, what does it mean? Here's what it looks like in the Hebrew. It is, uh, it is shaker. I couldn't get the Apostles' Creed. Can't get the Hebrew today. Shaker. Everybody go ahead and say shaker. Shaker literally means deception or misrepresentation. So what does it mean to lie? Lie is misrepresenting reality. It's misrepresenting this world. And are we starting to see why it's a big deal to lie? Because when we're lying, it's not like we're just breaking this moral code. It's we're actually taking on a role that was not made for us. We're taking on the role to have to create reality. God created reality. It was very easy for God to create this world. He spoke it and it happened. It was that simple for God to create. It's not that simple for us to create something this big, this wild, to create life. God did that. You did not. You were not made to create realities. But oftentimes when we're lying, that's what we're doing. We're creating false realities and we're projecting it as truth. But you were not made to do that. This is tempting. We do it a lot. Have you ever seen this trend? It's Instagram versus reality. Somebody will make an Instagram post and it's what they want people to see about their life. So if you go on a vacation to the beach, you post something like this. That's the Instagram version of your trip. But in reality, you were just getting attacked by birds, right? I had an Instagram versus reality moment this week. My wife and I, we, en we enrolled our dog Denver into obedience class. This is us at obedience class. And he looks like the model dog, just perfect. He's doing great. Looks like he should just be on the front cover of a catalog. But reality is Denver likes to smash his face into the floor while Willow, the other golden, just behaves perfectly, right? <laughs> it's, it's reality. And, and like, we don't like to admit that. This is a church where we're just honest about the reality, Okay. We have no other choice. We make mistakes. We get the Apostles' Creed wrong during the baptism. We make lots of different mistakes. I think about all the different ones that we've made throughout our history, and it, it's okay. These kinds of things happen because the promise of God's salvation does not depend upon us and us looking perfect and appearing perfect. The promise of God's salvation depends on his faithfulness to us. So why is it? Why do we struggle with this? I mean, if it's that easy, right? Like, why do we lie? Going back to that same study earlier in the sermon, why lie? University of Wisconsin Lacrosse found this. Among the top reasons that people lie, it almost has to do with the person who's, it almost always has to do with the person who's lying. It has to do with avoidance, protection, impressing others, personal gain. Before I move any further, I want to highlight that word protection there. If you feel like you have to lie because you are in danger, biblically speaking, you should not have to even go to that person. If that person is a physical, emotional psychological threat to you, you shouldn't have to go to that person one-on-one -on -one for that conversation. God wants to free us from the places where we would have to lie, right? Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if you have a conflict with somebody, go address that person one-on-one. -on -one. If they haven't repented and testified and came clean about what they've done, you go back to that person with somebody else. 
You don't show up in a room one-on-one with somebody who would hurt you. And then if they still don't confess it, if they still don't repent, then go back with the community. And if they still don't repent it, if they still don't confess it, then you say there's a strict boundary in our life. God doesn't want to put you in places where you have to lie. But oftentimes when we lie, it has to do with what we're trying to project about ourselves. It's trying to avoid awkward situations. When we lie, typically, most of the time, most lies are about the person speaking them. That's not to shame you. It's just reality. Most lies that I say are because I don't want people to think of me as that guy. I don't want them to see me as this angry, mean, critical person. Or I don't want them to see me as this broken, sad, hurt sinner. We don't want them to see those things. Sometimes what we tell, like, even the the simplest of lies, we think are doing no harm, right? We call them white lies. call them lies. So things like, yeah, let's keep in touch, and you don't mean it. It's like when you tell somebody, you haven't aged a day. Yes, they have. And it's good, because you don't want to be 40 looking like you're 12. That would be weird, right? We, we do this a lot, like, oh, I didn't see your email. No, you did. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, no, I'm going to call you later. No, you won't. <laughs> we, we, we do this a lot. We, we say we're doing that just to avoid the awkward situation, right? Now, I didn't notice. Y- yes, you did. Here's how one professor at Duke, he was a theologian and also a professor of law. This is Dr. Stanley Hauerwas. He said, we often lie because, uh, we lie often not because we're liars, but because we're moderately good people who don't want to hurt anyone. Therefore, we restrain ourselves from saying what needs to be said because we don't want to live with the results. Results. I think that if I tell the truth, it's going to break my community. It's going to break my relationships because that person's going to see me as mean or that person's going to see me as broken. But in our Bible reading today, we actually saw that the truth is what binds our community together. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Stop telling lies. Stop it, right? Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Our words deeply impact the people around us. They deeply impact the people around us. In James chapter 5, it talks about our tongues as if it's this like incredibly powerful potential weapon. Our tongues could light a match that would start a fire for an entire forest. It's a terrible phrase that we teach children. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The reality is sticks and stones can only break my bones, but words can actually kill and torment my soul. Like, that doesn't rhyme. It's not nursery friendly, right? But you remember the things that people told you when you were a child that just hurt. You almost sometimes remember the lies people told you more than the truths that people told you. It deeply impacts the people around us. And why is that? Because when we lie, we are holding others hostage in realities that don't actually exist. Our lies hold, hostage, hold others hostage in a world that does not exist. It's telling someone this is the way that the world works, but it's not. And it is so exhausting to keep up with that. We tell ourselves, I'm going to tell this lie right now so I can get back to freedom. I'll tell this lie right now so I can get out of that awkward situation. Then everything's going to be fine. But it never works out that way, right? Because that lie keeps on showing up again. And then we have to remember, what did I lie about? Mark Twain said, if you always tell the truth, you'll never have to remember anything. I think that there's something very interesting about that and something that's true about it. We cannot keep up with lies. The first 5K I ever ran, I was like 12 years old. I was just like a participant in it. I think I was going to go walk it. 
But word got out that at this 5K in Des Moines, an actual Olympian showed up to run it. People were really excited. And when they found out that there was an Olympian who was going to run, there's this one guy who got to the very front of the starting line. And as soon as the gun goes off, he sprints. And he's saying, I'm beating the Olympian. It was a lie. His body wasn't good enough for that yet, right? So what do you think happened after about 50 meters? The Olympian passed him and he passed out on the side of the road. Something like that. I don't it wasn't true. He was living a lie. It wasn't a real reality. And it wasn't helpful to him. And if anybody else had tried to do the same, it wouldn't have been helpful to them either. When we're lying, we're just holding people hostage in realities that don't exist. Like you weren't created to make reality. Created to live in reality. Bring truth to reality. Show reality what real truth really is. You're not meant to make it. Okay, so how do we shape our hearts? How do we orient our hearts into a place where we can tell the truth? Telling the truth, how do we do it? I think that the Bible gives us some really, really transformational guidelines for how to do this. The first thing when it comes to telling the truth that we get to do is we get to confess. Everyone say, confess. Confessing is not fun. I read in a study earlier in the week from uh, Harvard, said that among the top five most common fears of people, one of them is the fear of being found out. The way that they put it was the fear of getting caught. And it makes you wonder like, wow, what has everybody done? But then you think, well, what have I done? The word for confession in the Bible is homo legeo, which means I agree. It means to agree with what God already sees. God knows the truth. There is no distance between you and God. There are no walls. There are no secret coverings between you and God. God knows the truth. And that's why it says in 1 John, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're living in a reality that's not real. And it's not helpful to us. It's not helpful to anybody around us. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. Our confession, no matter how bad the thing is that we're confessing, first to God and then to the people that we've hurt, it does not impact God's faithfulness to you. We confess that we were unfaithful and God says, I'm still faithful. And he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. We get to confess. We get to agree with what God already sees. No more lies. No more tricks. We get to confess. Free people, we want to follow this pattern of faithfulness that God gives us, right? It's like in following Jesus who is faithful to us, we say, I want to be a truthful person. I don't want to live in lies anymore. I want to maintain the promises that I've kept, the commitments that I've made. Free people keep faithful promises. But I also want to say this. Free people also confess unfaithful words. Because maybe you're sitting here like, oh, well, geez, I made a promise. And it's a really bad thing, but I guess I have to live up to it now. If you've made bad deals and bad commitments, those are not the things that you stay faithful to. Those are the things that we confess. Maybe there's a bad relationship in your life and you know it's not good and you've made promises in that relationship and you know you shouldn't have made those promises. It's not good for you. It's not good for the other person. It's not good for the people around you. Confess those unfaithful words. And instead, remember our covenant relationship with God. The vows that we've made with the people that God put closest in your life, with your spouse, with your family, with your parents, with your children, with your friends. I mean, even these societal covenants, it can be a very good thing. With your coworkers, to have camaraderie in the office. With your classmates, to have fellowship with them. 
We keep faithful to promises. We confess unfaithful words because we know that Jesus would be faithful to us. So we get to confess the truth. The second is we get to speak the truth in love. This is a big one because a lot of times society will try to separate truth and love. We talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the sixth commandment, do not commit adultery. We tell people, well, you either have to tell them the truth or you can love them. But if you tell them the truth, it's not going to be very loving. But if you want to love people, you can't tell them everything that you really think or everything that you really see. But the Bible gives us the opportunity to speak the truth in love. And sometimes people hear the thing about, like, speak the truth in love. They think that it's just cliche and something that people have made up. It's actually in the Word of God. This is actually in the Bible. This is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. It's just before our, our Bible reading for today. We will speak truth in love, growing more and more like Christ. More and more like Christ. We don't speak truth in love just because it's nice. We speak truth in love because we're following the example of our faithful Savior. We're going with him. We're walking with him. Do you see how Jesus was able to maintain and live and still fulfill his purpose within the tension of truth and love? The psalmist says, unfailing love and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. They can live in the same place. Remember, it was easy for God to create the world. Just set it, and there it was. There's creation. Lots of different things. They're here. God spoke it into existence. But do you notice that God did not just simply speak forgiveness into existence? Like a lot of things happened. He showed up in the world. Jesus lived perfectly. He died. He rose from the dead. He ascended, sits at the right hand of the Father. He didn't just speak that one into existence because he still maintained truth. And the truth is that this world had fallen away from him. The truth is that this world is broken, but he knows that truth and he still maintains his love for us. And at the cross, we see the intersection of truth and love. And as people of God, we can follow that. We can be more like Christ, speaking the truth in love. You can do this. Think about it like this. When you're speaking to somebody and you have something that you need to tell them because it's the truth. One way that you can practice knowing that this is the truth in love, when this person walks away, will they be more captivated by what they've done wrong or by how much I love them? And if you can answer that by how much you love them, you will know that you spoke the truth in love. You do not have to separate the, the two because love without truth is not love. It is not loving to speak to somebody without telling them the truth. But truth without love isn't helpful. Do you really want to make, the, make a difference in somebody's life? Do you want to make a difference in this world? Love. It's the most unstoppable force in the universe. But without truth, it isn't real love. But if you want to deliver that truth, you've got to love or it's not going to be helpful. So, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we get to confess, we get to speak the truth in love, and then third, we need to believe the truth. Would you go ahead and say that word just believe? Believe. believe. To really buy in, to know it, to experience it, the truth. What is truth? Jesus was asked that question when he was on trial for his life. What is truth? Here's how Jesus defined truth. John chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And sometimes we hear that and we think it's a very exclusive statement. But it's actually an invitation. What Jesus is saying was, there was no way to perfection without me. And I've created it. 
And I've created it with the outstretched arms of my love for you on the cross. Do you want to know how much he loves for you? How much he loves you? Look at the cross. The Bible says his love knows no end for you. It's as, the, the separation that he's put between you and your sin is as far as the east from the west. He loves you like this. It is this invitation. Sometimes I think about it like, oh my goodness, if I'm sitting standby for a flight. Anybody here ever had to fly standby for a flight? It's the most jarring, terrifying, horrible experience. You don't know if you're going to get on the plane or not. And sometimes we think that the way to get to God is by appeasing God, by just being better, right? And Jesus says, no, I am not the security guard who's stopping you from getting on the plane. I am the agent who has printed the ticket with your name on it. Truth. I'm the way. I know you, but I love you. And I want you to be with me. There's this incredible, incredible story in John chapter 8 that tells just how far Jesus would go. It not only tells it, but it points to just how far Jesus would go to speak the truth and love to us so that we can know that we were safe to confess to him because we believe him as the truth. Remember it was in John chapter 8 when Jesus said, the truth will set you free. At the beginning of that chapter, there is this insane story. I mean, it's crazy. The scene is nuts and it's all about truth. Jesus was encountered by a group of Pharisees. Pharisees were this group of strict religious Jewish officials, um, lay people. The way that you can think of Pharisees is Pharisees were not fair, you see. They held everybody to a standard nobody could live up to. Pharisees not fair, you see. That's pretty good. I don't care what you say. <laughs> and so they bring Jesus, this woman, in adultery. The woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says that she should be stoned for that, they say to him. So what do you say? And they were trying to trap Jesus. What were they doing? They were trying to create a, a reality in which Jesus had to live. A fake world. One that wasn't real, one that wasn't true. And they're saying this to the one who created it, the real world. They're trying to trap him. And what's the trap? In those days, testimony was everything, right? So they're saying, testifying, this woman, she's caught in adultery, and Jesus would have noticed something. Where's the man? There's a gap in your testimony here. See, lying is not just about the things that we say. Sometimes it's about the way that we say things, or sometimes it's about the things we don't say. C.S. Lewis is one of the greatest theologians of all time. Sometimes we don't, think, we don't talk enough about his wife, Joy Davidson. Now, Joy was a great theologian in her own respect. She told the story about how there's man X, man Y, and man Z. All three of them, X, Y, Z, they all know that Mr. Jones did not rob the bank. Again, Mr. Jones did not rob the bank, and X, Y, and Z, they know it. But when X, Y, and Z are brought in for investigation, X says, he did it. He's, he's lying. Y says, you know, I saw him in the area, and Z just stays silent. And the theologian, Joy Davidson, asked at the end of that story, who lied? It was the one who literally spoke lying words. It was the other one who manipulated the situation and the truth. Oh, we can do that, can't we? We say things that are true, but we frame it in a way to force somebody into our reality that we want to exist. And then sometimes it's when we don't have the courage to speak up, to say the truth. And all of it is a false witness. All of it is misrepresenting the world that God intended for us 
to live in. Jesus knows them. He knows the Pharisees. Where's the man? They're using this woman. They're deeming her life as a proper cost to try to trap Jesus. The one who's coming to the world says, I have all the love in the world for these people, and yet he also is a teacher of the law. How can he live in that tension? And Jesus responds to them, okay, fine. Let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. The one who has never sinned. Now, Jesus is not just talking about their lives and everything that they've ever done. I think Jesus is specifically talking about in this exact situation, which one of you is blameless? Which one of you is totally telling the truth? Which one of you is not misrepresenting reality? Because I know you Pharisees. If you would confess, you would simply be acknowledging and agreeing with what I already see. Jesus will not let them lay a hand on her because those who cannot save her also do not have the right to condemn her. And you must know that about yourself and you must know that about people around you. If you can't save someone, you don't get to condemn them. That's why you get to speak the truth in love. And if someone can't save you, they don't get to condemn you either. And so when somebody speaks truth to you, but it's manipulated and it's used to hurt you and harm you, you turn to Jesus who lives in the tension of truth and love. He maintains his promise to you in it. He stays faithful. Each one of the Pharisees, they drop their stones and they walk away because there was not one of them who had never sinned in their life, but also in this very situation. And then there's this beautiful moment between Jesus and the woman. Now it's just her and him. He's just saved her life. And that's beautiful, but she also knows what she just got caught doing. I don't know. I, I think part of the reason why some of us are so afraid of God is because we do know that he knows everything about us. And we do know that everything wrong that we've done is a violation against him. If I've done something wrong to this world or to the people in it, I've done something wrong against what the creator's made. And I understand that sometimes people who stand in my place as pastors will use that. They'll use factual things to manipulate people into guilt and into shame when they have no business dabbling in those things at that moment and at that time. And I want to confess that. As the church, as the body of Christ, we need to do better. Because look at how Jesus handles this woman. He does not say a word to her about her sins until everybody else is gone. How do we handle that? When somebody does us wrong? Or there's someone who's had a moral failure? Or there's someone who just disagrees with us? Shame them loud enough for everybody to hear. We are misrepresenting reality. And why? Is it personal gain? Maybe it's to impress somebody else, to, you know, create a relationship, a bond with someone else who might hate that same person that we do. Jesus will not discuss her sin until it is just her and him. He is the one who will give her truth, but only in love. And he asks her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Neither do I. Jesus doesn't condemn you. He loves you.
because he loves you, he'll tell you the truth. But his truth is transformational because it is always delivered in his love. Perfect love. Where there is no fear because the truth is good enough. See, Jesus, he lived in that tension of love and truth. How could he say those things? Who was going to pay for that sin? Who was going to make up for it? What she did was wrong. Jesus told them, let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. Only the one who's never sinned gets to determine the fate of this woman. And who is Jesus talking about? He's talking about himself. He is the one who didn't sin. He is the one who lived perfectly. He says, there is a cost for this, but I will pay it. There is a victory to be won, and I will be victorious. Stones will be thrown, but they will hit me. Hands will be pierced, and they will be mine on the cross. Thorns will be pressed, but they will wound my skull. A spear will strike aside, and it is my blood and my water that will pour out. Jesus is not interested in condemning you. Do you believe the truth? The truth is Jesus loves you. The truth is Jesus loves you. The truth is good enough. If this was the one thing you took away from today, I want it to be this. Jesus loves you. This is the truth and the truth is good enough. He loves you. This is the truth. The truth is good enough. It's the truth that will set you free. It is the truth that will lead you to other people in love, courageous enough to share the truth, the real truth, the full truth. Because you will know the one who is faithful to you. You will know that you do not need to be validated by anybody else in this world because God himself looks at you and deems you worthy to be his child, not by what you've done, but by what he has done. We lie because we want to impress somebody. We lie because we want to cover up. And God says, enough with the space between us. I know it all. Confess your sin, not to appease me, but to return to the place where I call you child, the place where the truth is good enough, the place that you can call home. In the kingdom of God, the truth is good enough. Jesus is perfect. We are imperfect. But the battle that he has fought, the victory he has won, he shares it with us because he loves you. It is the truth, and the truth is good enough. Let's be truth tellers. Amen. Let's stand on up and sing a song as we head out.